scripture reading and passage is out of the book of Matthew, chapter 8, and it's about the centurion and the great faith that he demonstrated with righteous character. So if you all have turned there, uh, it's Matthew chapter 8, and verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Thank you, Jacob, for leading the music today. And thank you, Miss Alice, once again for leading the wonderful music on the piano. And as Jacob was saying, those songs are filled with much theology. And you can almost take them in the morning in your devotions and just open up the Bible and, along with those hymnals and just read them and meditate on them. And it's a wonderful, wonderful way to start the day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another gorgeous day outside. It was so beautiful driving over here today. And Lord, you are the author of all life. Father, you sent Jesus to be our eternal life on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful and going to the cross and shedding your blood for us. And that your Holy Spirit is even with us today. Lord, that you would guide my tongue as I speak. Please give me grace to do honor to your word. And also, Lord, for many of the saints here today, we have burdens. Lord, that you would take those burdens from us and let us be able to focus on your word. And also, for listeners that might be lost, today is the day of salvation, that the Holy Spirit would quicken your soul unto eternal life. And we ask all of these things in your name, Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. The title for today's message is The Centurion's Great Faith and His Righteous Character. We're going to look at three points today. The first point is this centurion came to Jesus in humble faith and he petitions Jesus to heal his sick servant. And then the second point is going to be us to understand that there's two parallel passages of this same scripture. One is taken from the book of Matthew, which Jacob just read, and the parallel passage is from the book of Luke. And it's important to understand the distinction here. The book of Luke is addressed primarily to Gentiles. The book of Matthew is addressed primarily to the Israelites, to the Jewish nation. And the book of Matthew passage includes 
a couple of verses that discuss hell. The book of Luke does not do that. The book of Luke shows this centurion as being very well received by the Israelite people in his hometown of Capernaum. The book of Matthew focuses on the Israelites with their misbelief where they thought they would go to heaven simply because they were a Jew. And Jesus points out that just because you are in the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that does not necessarily mean that you would go to heaven. And the same concept runs today in 2018. Many people right here in Lynchburg, Virginia, they believe they will go to heaven because they are good people. They will not go to heaven because they're a good person. If they go to heaven, they will go to heaven because they have faith that Jesus died for their sins and that he is their personal savior. So let's look at um, the top of page two, the first point. The centurion comes to Jesus in humble faith and asks him to heal his sick servant. Matthew 8, 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Now it's also important to understand as you read that first verse, it seems like the centurion in person came to Jesus. But if you look at the parallel passage, you will understand that he at first sends a delegation to talk to Jesus. And later on, when Jesus starts walking toward his home, then he actually comes out of his house physically to meet him. So for example, let's say one of us had an issue, somebody stole a car in the parking lot. God forbid. But we would call up the local sheriff office and then they would send a policeman out and we would discuss the issue with the policeman. He would be representing the sheriff's office who represents the government. In the same way, this centurion sent a delegation to talk to Jesus. And this delegation were senior people in the synagogue. They were Jewish leaders that he well knew. It's also important to understand that the Israelite nation at this time was a conquered nation. Most of the Israelites despised the Romans being in their town because they were conquered and they had to submit to the authority of the Roman government. So this centurion, he's under a mission from Rome and he is given the power of life and death. Here in America, if we're arrested, we go before a judge. The centurion was the judge. So if he sent his deputies out to quell an uprising, they had the power to kill the people who were in rebellion. Many of the Jewish people, they despised this, but they had to submit because they were not strong enough to conquer the Roman army. But with all of that understood, this centurion is well-liked by the local Jewish community in Capernaum. He's so well-received that he's highly spoken of. So this speaks to this man's character. He has great faith, as Jesus says in this passage, which means he's a Christian. And you can see his Christian character coming out. He humbles himself before God, and he humbles himself, even though he has authority, to the people living in Capernaum. We also see in the Old Testament an example 
of where God uses King David and then King Nebuchadnezzar to carry out his will. Just like the centurion sent a delegation to express his need to have his servant healed, God used David to conquer the Philistines. Let's look at that first passage in 2 Samuel 3.18. Now then do it. In other words, make David the king. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. So Jesus was using King David to rescue the nation of Israel. This is a thousand years before Christ. Now fast forward to the time of Daniel, to the time of Nebuchadnezzar. It's approximately 300 years in the future, 700 years before Christ. And now God is using Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Jerusalem and to put the nation of Israel in bondage as punishment and judgment against their apostasy and for their worshiping false idols. Psalm 79, 1 and 2, a psalm of Asaph. O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be the meat unto the fowls of heaven and the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. God can use any means to carry out his mission and his will. Now let's go back into the time of Christ. This is Matthew chapter 4, 13. And this verse says that Jesus no longer is living in Nazareth. Remember, he grew up in Nazareth. That's why he was called a Nazarene. And he was a carpenter working with his stepfather, Joseph. But then he moves to Capernaum. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zapulon and Naphtalim. So now Jesus is living in Capernaum. And you know that with all the miracles that were going on in Capernaum, he was very well known. This could not be a very big city, perhaps 5,000 people. And this centurion, he's the sheriff in town. He knows all the news. His job is to put down any insurrection. And certainly he has heard of Jesus. And it's interesting that he's a man of faith. That means he has studied not only the Jewish culture, he's a very learned man. He has studied the Jewish Old Testament. Luke 7.3. Now this is the parallel passage to Matthew that we're looking at. It's in Luke chapter 7, and it adds further detail. 7.3. And when he, this is the centurion, heard of Jesus... He sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. So this means this centurion has a very good relationship with the elders. Many of us in this room, we have gray hair. That means we're elders. Miss Alice, you're an elder. <laughs> Some of us do not want to admit that. But you can see this centurion. We don't know how old he is. But he's friends with the elders. That speaks to his character. Luke 7, 4 adds additional information. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. 
So these elders went instantly to Jesus. They didn't put it off. They didn't say, okay, we will take care of this tomorrow. They went as soon as the centurion asked them to go speak on his behalf. And it's also interesting, when you look at this servant in the word in Greek, in the gospel passage of Luke, it's called doulos. Doulos is a bondservant. Another way of saying this servant of the centurion was a slave. If you look at the word in the gospel of Matthew, it's pais. Pais means a very high administrative person, somebody who would be in the administration of a king. So from these two parallel passages, we can learn that this servant was not only a slave, but he was very well learned and he was talented in administrative skills. So this centurion relies upon this person in his administration. Luke 7, 5. This is the Jewish elder speaking to Jesus about the centurion. For he loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue. This man that they're talking about, this centurion, they're saying he loves our nation. He's a Roman. He's a Gentile. Normally, the people who conquer a country, they don't love the people. They use those people. They look down upon them. And yet the centurion loves the nation of Israel. And it's probably because he loves God. And he studied their culture and their history. And he knows the Messiah will come through the line of Judah. This man is learned, he's respected, and he's humble. He's a man of his word. And he's well received even by the conquered nation. This is an amazing fact about this man. Matthew 8, 6. And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. If we look at this word palsy, in Greek it means paralotikos. And that means a paralytic. Do you remember in the 50s when there was the polio epidemic here in the U.S.? Many of the people who received polio when they caught that disease... They became paralyzed. This person is paralyzed. He has that same disease, this servant of the centurion. Psalm 147, 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. This centurion feared the Lord. He had a reverential respect for God, and he also put his hope in the mercy of God. He sent the delegation to go to Jesus to request healing of his servant. And it also shows his great faith. How many of us could go into a foreign environment? Let's say we woke up tomorrow and we were in China. And we would have certain Chinese and go to the local priest that would talk to God on our behalf. Many of us would not do that. And just think about this man. He truly has faith in God. Luke 7, 2, adding a little bit more information. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and was ready to die. Many of the children who got polio back in the 50s, they lived long lives. They didn't die immediately. This servant is ready to die. And it says the centurion loved this servant very much. He not only relied upon this person, but they had a personal relationship. 
He was dear to him. Luke 7, 6 adds additional information. Then Jesus went with them. Jesus heard this request, this petition, and just like he did so often, he went to heal the sick. And if you notice, this is Matthew 8 that we're looking at. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? That was chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. Jesus has just completed the greatest message ever preached. He's probably tired. That was a long message. And as you look and at the first few verses of chapter 8 of Matthew, those first four verses, Jesus is already doing a miracle as soon as he comes off the mount where he spoke the Sermon on the Mount. He heals a leper. The leper was a Jewish individual. And now the Gentiles come. Aren't you happy God is no respecter of persons? That he heals not only Jewish people, but Gentiles? And here, on this same day when he's been so busy, he's already doing miracles for the honor of his father. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. So now we see Jesus is walking down the block toward the centurion's house. And Jesus wasn't walking alone. Everywhere he went, there were literally hundreds of people because he was doing so many miracles. And you could hear a group that big. And the centurion from his house, he can hear this crowd approaching. And then he sees God. And he says, no, 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 I, God cannot come in my house. I am not worthy that he should come under my roof. And then he sends a second group of people. It says, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. Not only does he have the admiration of the local elders, he has many friends. The Bible says if you want to have friends, you need to be friendly. People that are friendly have lots of friends. People that are grouchy, they don't have so many friends. This centurion, he was a friendly person, and he had friends, and he sent them on to Jesus. This centurion knew the culture, and he knew that the Jewish community called the Gentiles dogs. Remember Jesus. We went over this lesson several months ago. The Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus with the demon-possessed daughter begged Jesus to heal her daughter, and he said, it's not meat for me to give the food meant for the Jewish nation to the Gentile dogs. And then she said that great verse, yes, master, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So Jesus was representing the Jewish nation who looked down upon the Gentiles. And also, when the Israelites came in contact and went into a Gentile home, that Jew was considered unclean. And this centurion knew that culture, if Jesus came into his house, even though it might have been a very beautiful home, Jesus would have been considered unclean. And you see how he's respecting Jesus, even in those little details. Matthew 8, 7. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. So now the delegation goes to Jesus. He starts walking to the house. And then... The centurion sees Jesus coming. He sends some friends out and says, no, no, don't come. And finally, he comes out of the house because he doesn't want Jesus to enter into his house. And now, finally, they meet. 
The centurion meets very God. One day we're going to meet very God. And we're either going to meet him as a child of the Father, or we're going to meet him at the great white throne. But we will all meet God. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Have you sought the Lord recently with fears, with tears? God is there, and he will deliver you from those trials in life that we have. We need to take our burdens before the Lord and cast them at his feet. That's what he commands us as children to do. He wants to help us. Psalm 34, 17, later in this same chapter, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The righteous are the children of God. I listen to my children when they talk to me. I don't necessarily listen to the neighbors. They're not my children. But when my children come to me with a need, I try to understand it and in my capacity help them. God is saying to the righteous, come to him. He stands ready to help us. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. Careful means don't worry. The Bible says don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God wants us to come to him. But just like if our children have a bad attitude and they're not really thankful for the things we give them, we're a little bit reluctant to answer the requests that come to us. God is really no different. He wants us to come to him with thanksgiving, not with that grouchy, moody attitude. He wants all of us to be thankful for the blessings he has given us. The second point today, this is from the perspective of the Gospel of Luke. This is speaking to the Gentiles. The point being that Gentile faith is acceptable with God unto salvation. And praise God for that. Because most of us in this room, we are Gentiles. God allows the Gentile today, that middle wall of partition has been torn down. There is no longer a barrier between the Jew and the Gentile, between the Israelite nation and all of the other nations of the world. We all have access to the throne of God because of Jesus' blood. Matthew 8.8. 8. This is the conversation now between Jesus and the centurion. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and thy servant shall be healed. This man's faith said, Jesus, you don't need to come into my house. All that you need to do is speak the word and my servant will be healed. He read the Bible. He knew in Genesis in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. He knew that God had all the power and he knew that Jesus only had to speak the word and his servant would be healed. Luke 7, 7 adds additional information. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Do you see why he didn't even go to Jesus? He said, I am not worthy to come unto you. He respected Jesus so much and his position of authority, very deity. He didn't feel he should even come into the presence of God. He is humbling himself before God, and he's respecting God through his humility. Do you remember the story of Jonah? How 
he went into the belly of the whale. This morning when I was going over this verse with the kids in the junior Bible class, they all laughed because listen to this verse, Jonah 2.10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now you can understand why kids would laugh at that verse. But the point is, God spoke a word, and the fish obeyed. All of nature obeys God. The leaves, they turn beautiful colors in the fall. And in my yard this week, I have flowers that have popped up. They're already two inches high, the stems. They are obeying God. They're right on schedules. The good news, spring is right around the corner. Only human beings who are made in God's image disobey God. Isn't that amazing? We need to obey God. Luke 8.41 And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. Remember when we went over the story of Jairus a couple of weeks ago? He had a daughter who was 12 years old who actually died while he was talking to Jesus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was a Jewish person, and he invited Jesus into his home. Why? So that he could heal his daughter who had at this point died. Acts 10.28 shows further light on why a Jew would typically not enter into a Gentile home. And this is being spoken of by Peter after Jesus has already ascended into heaven. And Peter said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter came to the realization that we are no longer separated between Jews and non-Jews. There is nobody any longer that is common or unclean. And this is a revelation that Jesus gave to him. That was the message he now preached, that we all can come to a saving knowledge. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Matthew 8, 9. This is the centurion still speaking to Jesus. For I am a man under authority. He's under the authority of Rome. When Rome tells him a command, he obeys it. And he said, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth. A centurion had a minimum of 100 soldiers under his command. Some centurions had up to 1,000. We don't know how many this man had, but he had great authority in that little town. And he, he is explaining to Jesus how the authority in his life works. And he's using this as an example. He's saying, Jesus, I know you're God. When somebody gives me a command from Rome, I listen. And when I command my men, they listen. And I know that you command creation. If you tell this disease to leave my servant, this paralysis to go, it will go. Psalm 42.8 Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. God will show his loving kindness in the daytime. 
We don't know how late in the day it is. I think it's probably at this point early evening because Jesus has been preaching all day. But God does show his loving kindness during the day. And he protects us with his song of love at night. How many of your children, when they were little, they would say, Mommy, Daddy, can you sing me a song? And they just want to fall asleep listening to your voice. We should want the same thing at nighttime. Before we close our eyes, talk to God, say a prayer, and let him speak to you. And you can hear his song as you drift into sleep. Luke 7, 8. This again is the conversation between the centurion and Jesus. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto this, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. You see, both parallel passages discuss this same pattern of authority. That's very important for us. God puts it in both passages. He is the ultimate authority, and we need to submit to him. John 4, 49 and 51. This is also a very interesting passage. This is about a rich man who lives in Capernaum. Do rich people hang around with other rich people? Yes, they do. And this centurion, he has power and money compared to most of the other people in town. And Jesus has already healed another rich man in this little town of Capernaum's family member. Let's read the scripture. The nobleman said unto Jesus, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went away. And as he now was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. So this nobleman could have told to the centurion, Guess what? My child was sick. And I went to Jesus and I said, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak a word. And guess what? He was healed. And as I was walking home, my servants came with the good news that my child was healed. Do you think the centurion knew this? Yes. And this might have been part of his motivation to go to Jesus and say, no, 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 no. You don't need to come to my house. Just speak a word and my servant will be healed. Matthew 8.10 When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now remember, there's a huge crowd and he's talking one-on-one -on -one to the centurion and then he marvels. He's amazed and then he turns around to all of that crowd behind him. Many of them were Jews. And he says, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all Israel. He's rebuking them. This centurion, many of those people did not know the centurion, and they looked down upon him. He's wearing his uniform, and they despise the Roman government. And Jesus says, this man has greater faith than anyone in Israel. And the Lord was amazed. Let's look at that word. In Greek, it's thaumadzo. Thaumadzo. And it means to wonder, by implication, to admire, have admiration, to marvel. Jesus was admiring this man's great faith. And that is how we please God. Without faith, 
it's impossible to please God. This man was pleasing to God because of his faith. Mark 4, 39 and 40. The setting here is Jesus and the apostles are going over the Sea of Galilee and a great storm comes up. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. And the water is coming over the sides. And the apostles are afraid they're going to die. It's that bad of a storm. And they wake up Jesus. He's sleeping. He's oblivious to this. I heard a pastor say one time that the reason he was oblivious to this, he was totally in God's will, and he knew nothing could happen to him until he went to the cross, which was a future event. That storm wasn't going to hurt him. So he was totally under the mighty hand of God and totally relaxed even in the midst of that storm. That's the way we should feel. I also heard a preacher say when a missionary goes into those dangerous parts of the world, let's say in Saudi Arabia, where they can cut your head off if you're a Christian, as long as you're in God's will, nothing can harm you. So back to Mark chapter 4, 39 and 40. And he arose, this is Jesus, and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? Why is it that you have no faith? You see, Jesus with his words commanded nature. Just like Jonah's whale to spit up Jonah, here he commands the sea to be still. And it says there was a great calm. Have you ever been on a lake and it's just as smooth as glass? I can envision in my mind the Sea of Galilee with these huge waves ready to sink their ship and then instantly just as smooth as glass. Luke 7, 9, back to our passage. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So both passages stress this fact that he didn't find this kind of faith that he sees in the centurion in anybody living there in the Jewish nation. Now there was one other time when Jesus marveled. And here he's marveling at the faith of the centurion. But in Mark 6, 6, to the discredit of the Israelites, he marveled at their unbelief. He was, the setting was he was in his hometown of Nazareth. And do you remember reading, he was in the synagogue and he was reading from the scriptures and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled among you. And they got so angry, they took Jesus up to the brow of the city of Nazareth and they were going to cast him down to kill him. And Jesus, it said, disappeared and walked through their mists. Here he's saying, he marveled because of their unbelief and he went around the villages teaching. So he left his hometown. A prophet is never accepted in his hometown. And he started preaching in the other cities and towns in the area. And then he came and moved and actually started to live in Capernaum. The third point today, this is the perspective of the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew warns the Israelites that being a born a Jew will not save their soul from hell. Also, it's interesting to note that the passage in Matthew brings up the issue of hell. The Gospel of Luke does not. 
it focuses in on this Gentile leader, this centurion, being a man of God, of impeccable character. But Jesus in Matthew is speaking primarily to the Jewish nation. And he wants them to understand hell is real. And just because you're a Jew, that doesn't mean you have a free ticket into heaven. You need faith. Let's look at it. Matthew 8, 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice it says many from the east and from the west? He's speaking right there in Capernaum. If you go east, you go through Iraq and you go through India all the way to China and to far Asia. And he's saying those people groups will be in heaven. They're going to sit down. And then he says, from the West. Aren't you glad he said from the West? Because we are in North America and South America in the West. There will be people from America and from Mexico and South America, way down there in the tip of it, in heaven. From the East and the West. But he's talking to the Jews there in Capernaum. Isaiah 25, 6 and 7. This also speaks to the blessings that God has given to the Gentiles. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things of marrow, of wine on the lees, well refined. And he will destroy in his mountain the face of the covering cast over all people, and the veil is spread over all nations. The robe of righteousness that comes from Jesus' shed blood on the cross is available to any individual in any nation on the earth. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And do you notice in this verse it says two times lees? I didn't know what that word meant. So I looked it up in Greek and it means the residue left in your cup. How many of your children, they went and got a big tall glass and poured milk in it and then they got the Hershey squirt out? And they squirted in that chocolate in their milk. And then they drank the milk up. And then when they put the cup down, when you did the dishes, there was like a quarter of an inch of chocolate Hershey syrup in the bottom, right? That's the lees of the Hershey syrup. In other words, God is blessing you so much that you can't even consume it all. God's blessings are more than we can ever number. Isaiah 25.8, the next verse. What a beautiful verse. Listen to what it says. He will swallow up death in victory. This is the Old Testament. This is 700 years before Jesus goes to the cross. And he's already saying he's going to swallow up death in victory. And the Lord will wipe away tears from off all faces. Isn't that a beautiful verse? And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord has spoken it. When God says it, you can take it to the bank. It's a done deal. Matthew 22, 11 and 12. This is back to the setting being in the time of Israel, Jesus speaking. And when the king came in to see his guests, this is a wedding feast. The king has given his son in marriage. That's what the father is doing with Jesus and his bride, the church. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on the wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The wedding garment in the spirit world 
is the garment of righteousness that we put on because of Jesus' shed blood. And if you don't have the garment of Jesus' righteousness, the blood atonement, the payment that takes away the wrath of God, that propitiation payment for our sins, you don't have on the wedding garment. And God will not allow you into the wedding feast without that wedding garment. You need to have that wedding garment. And the wedding garment comes when you have faith. That's when you receive the wedding garment. The day of your salvation, you have the wedding garment on. Matthew twenty-two thirteen, the next verse. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This individual thought, because he was a Jew, he would get into heaven. The king said, you don't have on the wedding garment. And they tossed him into outer darkness. That's a picture of hell. It's the blackness of darkness forever. And it says there but shall be weeping. There will be emotional turmoil in hell. But you also see it says gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth means you're angry at God. Remember Stephen, the first servant in the book of Acts? They took him and stoned him to death. And it said they were hissing and gnashing their teeth, almost like they were demon-possessed. And that's what's going to happen to these people when they're cast and are not allowed into the wedding feast. They're not allowed into heaven. They're going to sorrow for themselves, but they're going to gnash their teeth at God. What a picture. What a picture of defilement and sin. Matthew 8.12, back to our story. Jesus repeats these very words. He says, but the children of the kingdom, those are the Jews, the ones that should be going into heaven, shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just because they're Jews, remember Jesus is talking to this group that's behind him. Just because they're Jews, they're not going to get into heaven without the faith of that despised centurion that Jesus just said had great faith. They need that same faith that this Gentile centurion ruler over them has that they do not like. Isaiah 65, 13 and 14. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and shall howl for vexation of spirit. Do you see how Jesus is contrasting the saved, the true servant, with the lost, the Israelite, the nation of Israel, and how they're going to mourn? And do you notice how that verse ends? They will howl for vexation of spirit. You know, a dog at nighttime, when they're uncomfortable, they will howl. And they will let you know they're uncomfortable. That's what's going to happen to these lost souls. But they can never be remedied. Because once you die lost, there's no second chance. Matthew 10.28. This is Jesus speaking. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If you were watching the news this week, we saw that terrible tragedy down in Florida where that teenager went into the high school 
and killed 17 people and then wounded maybe another 17 or 18 more. That was a wicked, vile act that he did. But Jesus, if he were speaking to those people, he would say, fear not this man that could kill your body. That's all he can do. He can only kill your body. And in 50 years, everybody in this room is going to be dead anyway. We're all going to die. It's appointed on man who wants to die. But Jesus said, fear him that is able to destroy the body and the soul in hell. Only God can destroy the body and the soul in hell. Because Jesus has the keys to death and hell. Let's look at the top of page 5. This is from the book of Luke. Chapter 13, 23, and 24. Then said one unto Jesus, Lord, are there few that be saved? And Jesus said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter and shall not be able. So there's a man who comes and asks Jesus this question in a great crowd. And he said, this is the question, are there few that be saved? That's a very interesting question, don't you think? But Jesus doesn't answer him. He answers everybody in the crowd. It says, and he said unto them, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive means you've got to work at it. You just can't say, oh, Jesus, I believe, and then keep on doing all the sin you're doing. Strive means you exert effort. You need to be diligent about it. Strive to enter at the straight gate. Now, the straight gate, in Greek, that means narrow. Jesus is the narrow gate. It isn't a wide gate that leads into heaven. In fact, just the opposite. Broad is the way that leads to hell, to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads into eternal life. So Jesus has strived to enter into this narrow gate, and that's only by faith, not by works. All of the great religions of the world say, work your way into heaven. Islam, Buddhism, Catholicism, Hinduism, they're all works-based. We have Christianity, which is faith-based, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Luke 13, 27 and 28, same chapter. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves are thrust out. Here's another passage where Jesus is saying, you need to repent. You need to be saved. And just because you're a Jew will not get you into heaven. And you're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you can't enter. And look at how he ends that verse. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing. Can you imagine the grinding that they're doing for eternity? Because they missed out on eternal life. Matthew 8.13 this is Jesus still speaking to the centurion. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Do you notice in the scripture it's underlined, as thou hast believed? Do you believe Jesus can do great miracles today? 
He's still in the miracle business. He still saves and he still works in each one of our lives. If we have a burden, bring it to Jesus in prayer and submit and humble yourselves with thanksgiving. Be thankful for whatever you have. Watch what great things the Lord will do in your life. Psalm 147, 15. He sendeth forth his commandment upon the earth and his word runneth very swiftly. Before the centurion got back home, his servant was healed. Now you can walk to a house that's maybe 100, 150 feet away pretty quick, right? 15, 20 seconds. His servant was already healed. That's how fast his word went. God thinks it and it's done. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. All things. He spoke a word. At the battle of Armageddon, how is he going to destroy 200 million soldiers? He's going to speak a word. There's power in the word. Do you know there's power in the Bible? There's power in those scriptures. Claim them. Bring them into your mind and your heart and claim the promises. God has so many promises. Did you ever see those promise Bibles? It's like every other page of scripture has promises. It's amazing how many promises God has given to his children. Mark 9.23 Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. If you can believe. See, you can't believe with true faith until you're saved. So if you can believe, if you have faith, if you're saved, if you're on your way to heaven, all things are possible. Mark 9.24, the next verse. And straightway the father of the child cried and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. This might be one of the most favored verses in the Bible because all of us have faith. But are any of us happy with our level of faith? This man is saying, I believe Jesus. And he's crying. He said this with tears. He's humbling himself before God. And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I need more faith, God. Help my unbelief. And he was crying this prayer. Do you know what you sow in tears? You're going to reap in joy. This man was reaping these tears for his family member. And he reaped in joy because his child was healed. John 14, 6. This is Jesus. Jesus saith unto him. This is, he's talking to his apostles. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. None of the apostles went to heaven except believing that Jesus was God. And that's the same way for us. We cannot go into heaven without believing Jesus is God and that he died for us. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to Jesus must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Diligent means you're striving to enter in at that straight gate. Now the rest of the verses for today, they're all from this chapter 2 book of James. And if you have your handouts this week, just look at these verses and meditate on them. There's a lot of power in these few verses. I will read them. James 2.17 Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. People that say they believe in God, but they have no fruit in their life. It says, 
is dead being alone. James 2.18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without thy works. I will show you my faith by my works. So many people claim to be Christians, but you can never tell by looking at their life. James is saying, I am a Christian. Check out everything that I've done since I've been saved. And you ought to be able to point back or to look for your own well-being, for your own comfort, and your own assurance and your own salvation at things you have done for the Lord. Miss Alice, I look at you, and you how many years have you played the piano for the, for the Lord? Eight years. That's longer than most of us in this room have been alive. But praise God, you can look back on 80 years of serving Christ and all of that music in your mind and your heart and blessing so many people here today playing that music and blessing all of us. That's works that she has through faith. She can give herself assurance because the devil is going to put in your mind doubt. Am I really saved? And then you look back on your life and you go, I saw God working here. I saw God using me there. Yes, I see the benefits of God's word over here. And that's the assurance we have that we're saved. And we need that in our life because all of us, we're emotional beings. We're not like rocks where we never change. We go up and down. I'm happy in the morning when I have my coffee and during the day I get run down, you know, and I need another cup of coffee. But aren't we all like that? We're humans. We're human beings. James 2.20 But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Somebody who says they're saved and they don't have works, God says they're vain. Vanity is emptiness. There's nothing there. It's like eating cotton candy. It tastes good, but there's no nutrition. And that's what vanity is. People that say they're saved with no works, God says they're vain. James 2, 20 and 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. God told Abraham, if you really love me, you take Isaac, your beloved son, and take him up on a mountain, I'll tell you which one to go to, and you offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham said, yes, Lord. And he took his son up on the altar and to the point where he raised his hand and the angel said, no, no, no. God was testing you and now he has rewards for you. You're the father of all nations. And it says here, by his works, his faith was made perfect. How many of you make cookies and they didn't turn up? You went, oh, they're not perfect. And then you go back and you change the recipe a little bit. And you might do that six, seven, eight times and finally you go, that cookie's perfect. Because you worked at it. Well, guess what? We need to work at our faith to make it more perfect. It's never gonna be perfected all the way until we get a glorified body because then our hope becomes reality but God says, serve me, and I'll bless you. James 2.24. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only? You see what James is teaching us? He's saying when we work for the Lord, and we serve him out of love, not out of duty, because if you go get a job, you get a paycheck, and that's your reward. No, when we serve God out of love, he has power and rewards reserved for us, at the beam of seat. And then the last verse today, James 2.26.
For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. All of us have been at the funeral home and we see the body in the casket. That body is dead. There's no soul or spirit left in it. It's gone. James is saying, your faith without works is like a dead body in a casket. That's not a very good picture he's painting, is it? We want life and vibrancy in our faith. Manifest it. Manifest your faith. And you know the best way you can do that? Spending time with Jesus every day. So many people need your prayers. You know you have family members who are not right with God. You know friends that are lost. You know people with emotional and financial and health issues. Pray for them. Lift them up. And God will richly bless you in return. You know that old saying, what goes around comes around? God, when it goes around, he adds blessings, blessings, blessings. And when it gets back to you, that turntable's got more cookies on it than the one you just started with. See the picture? You can never outgive God. You can never, ever outgive the King of Kings because He owns it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these beautiful passages and, and what a blessing it was this week to study them. And Lord, that your word never returns void. Many of the people in this room, I don't know what goes on with them during the week, but we all have needs. And Lord, you are the provider. Provide for the senior saints in this room for their needs this week. Maybe it's doctor's appointments or their burden over their children or, or even their grandchildren. And also, Lord, there are many souls here in our hometown of Lynchburg who are not saved, who today are on their way to hell. That you would bring these souls across our paths where we can share the good news gospel message that you, the Father, sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And that we can share that with many people. And Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the cross. Holy Spirit, being with us, don't let us quench you this week. And Father, for the many bountiful blessings and gifts you've given to all of us, your children. We love you, God. Amen. So you're dismissed.